Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. It's been exactly two years since I first met and had a conversation with the very creative Jessica Dermody, whose professional career includes theater, live concert events, print, film, television. Following graduation from Florida State University School of Theater, Jessica landed a series of jobs, teaching modeling classes, ballroom dance instructor, working at a casting agency. Then in 2001, she was hired to go on the road as assistant wardrobe supervisor for the Broadway touring company of Saturday Night Fever, even though she insists she barely knew how to sew. Since 2002, Jessica's worked on dozens of shows, including The Producers, Young Frankenstein, West Side Story. She just wrapped up a stint as wardrobe supervisor of Arthur Miller's The Crucible. Jessica's also acted, directed, and produced, and was part of the team behind the Tony Award-winning best musical Green Day's American Idiot. And she also played a role in bringing Hamilton from the public theater to Broadway. In 2005, Jessica co-founded the not-for-profit Working Arts Theater Project and is the executive managing artistic director. I met Jessica and actress Lolita Brinkley, as I mentioned, in 2014, when both were involved in the play Life Without Parole. Jessica was the director, Lolita one of the cast members. Currently, Jessica is directing and producing Gregorian, a play rooted in the Armenian genocide of 1915. It follows four generations of one family as they discover the gravity of a name passed from father to son. Jessica is also passionate about promoting life in the arts to future generations. She lectures at a variety of organizations, at schools, universities, and is a private coach, serving as a mentor, as she says, to those bitten by the entertainment bug. Hi, Jessica. Welcome, and so glad for the opportunity to have another conversation with you. Hi, Sandy. I'm super excited. Not much downtime in Jessica Dermody's life, is there? Not at all. <laughs> I'm really bad with downtime. I'm well, actually bad? Su- I'm, I'm, bad, <laughs> I'm bad with it. I was supposed to have a two-month break between closing this Broadway show and opening another Broadway show, and I decided to produce and direct a show in that time period on my vacation time. But I love it. I, it, I was going to say, <laughs> and what's the negative on that? <laughs> You're no working. Negative. There's no negative. I, lo- I mean, it doesn't feel like work. And I think that it's it's a gift. It's a gift to be able to do these things, to tell these stories and be creative and bring the art, you know, arts awareness and education and uh, building worlds. I, I just, I love it. Well, especially in this business, you know, you, you're sort of damned if you do. I mean, on the one hand, oh my God, I have to keep working. On the other hand, I'm overworked. You know, it's yeah. nice to strike a balance, <laughs> but I don't even know what that means. What does balance mean to you? Balance, I, you know what? That's a good question. It's something that I'm constantly thinking about and learning within myself. And mm-hmm. uh, I think when you uh, are innately a producer, which I think is what I ultimately am, mm-hmm. uh, but I love doing all this other stuff. And and when you are a producer, it's constant. It's 24-7 and learning how to balance. Um, I'm getting a little bit better just on figuring out how to have time for a personal life, mm-hmm. which is something that is not really warranted in uh, uh, when you live your life in the arts professionally. It's something that, yes, you can do. You can have a family. You can have kids. You can do whatever you want. But your first love and your first husband or wife is <laughs> is the arts. And I find that very much so in theater, particularly. It's a, a labor of love for 
for all of us gypsies out there. Um, it's just what we do. So, But before we talk about the present, let's talk about the past. You got a BA from Florida State University School of Theater because you wanted to act, right? Is that what you were planning on for you? I actually was a dancer, uh, I dance and I sing and I act. Um, and then I went through acting conservatory there as well. But interestingly, uh, the program at Florida State is uh, they force you to do everything. Mm-hmm. So I ran a theater while I was there. I learned about lighting, budgeting, producing. What do you mean you ran a theater? There was a student-run theater uh, at the time, and um, it's called the Free Works Theater. And I was actually elected as the production manager of the theater. So I was in charge of picking uh, the season. Uh, people would, would But where did you get things. off to be able to do that? I was born into this business. My father is a, a musician. Uh, he's also a technical producer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up backstage. Uh, I so was, it's in your DNA. It's in my DNA, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. we all know the nepotism in this business is, is a big thing. But uh, I never really wanted to do anything else. The only thing I ever wanted to do outside of like entertainment was uh, I wanted to be a marine biologist because I knew you needed to be a marine biologist (laughs) in order to be in the show at SeaWorld with Shamu. And that's why I was like, I wanted to be in that show. That's pretty funny. So that's the only time that I ever was like, yeah, I like the ocean. I want to do it. And I Uh might have been like six or seven years old. You're forgiven. Um, But I, yeah, I mean, I, I really have never done anything else. And in my life. So it was very nuanced because you thought about acting or you thought about managing or, you know, there's so many layers within the theatrical world. And I've actually talked about this a lot with other producers because uh, you'll never get hired to be a producer. It's like in a weird way. It's it's the most important job, but it's not a real job. That's a really good point. Nobody really knows what a producer does. Um, and even when you're asked what a producer does, you're like, well, you just kind of do whatever it takes to make something happen. It might, you might be getting insurance one day, which sounds really boring. Yeah. And you might be in castings. You might be, you know, asking people for money. You, it's, it's literally just a a blanket thing and I realized when I went to the we were nominated for a Tony Award for a Green, Green Day's Day. American Idiot mm-hmm. and I was literally like sitting at the Tonys um, and I had actually been at the Tonys I'd worked them a bunch but this was the first time I had ever been sitting in there and I remember sitting like behind Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta-Jones and like <laughs> Denzel Washington and I died and, and went to like, heaven yeah you, you know mm-hmm. I just but I realized at that moment I was like oh that's what this is and then I realized that when I was a kid growing up it was literally like I was a person being like we're gonna we're gonna do a dance show we're gonna listen to Madonna's Material Girl and we're gonna put these dresses on and you're gonna turn the lights on here and you're gonna press play on this cassette tape and we're going to do this. And so you just couldn't audience. help yourself. I just, it was just mm-hmm. what I did. It was mm-hmm. playing. It was mm-hmm. playing. So to know that this is a world that exists, that you still get to play, and yeah, there's responsibility because you still have to make it well, happen. Well, the stakes are a lot different. The stakes are a lot different. That was something that I was doing. And then as I got into high school, I did the same thing. I, I produced fashion shows and plays, and there was, you know, it was a very instrumental in starting the drama department. Um, at so my you're high a real school. initiator, aren't you? Kind, yeah, it's kind of if I if I see something that I feel like will benefit things, or it's people, a natural it's act. It's a natural act for me. Yeah. But I want to just go back to, for a second to the acting. Yeah. Were you any good? 
I am actually a very good actress, yeah. So you had options. Yeah. Every once in a while, I, I still I still do it. But I realized at a certain point um, that I had a real passion in telling stories. And I studied, I started studying directing and what that was. And I realized that all the culmination of all of my skills, as far as my dance background, learning about uh, proper breathing and voice technique and all of those things that you study as an actor. Um, and then I the special skill that a director has is being able to manipulate and and mold and get that performance out of someone. Um, I had that skill as well. You're also, um, as I'm listening to you talking, not that this is such an epiphany, but you're also <laughs> part psychologist, aren't you, as a director? I, I think Therapist. it's a very, it's a very big part of, um, as a director, for sure. And I think in other areas, too, um, you know, when you're when you're acting, you're very vulnerable. That's that's really where you are as an actor, and that has to be protected. Um, so, you know, as a director coming in, there are, of course we hear horror stories all the time of people who are like, ah, oh, get up there, do it. Just you know, we don't care. It's about my my art. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of come at it from a little different perspective, and I, I am completely fascinated with with psychology. Completely, I think they uh, go hand in hand. Hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Why we do things, why we say things, how we act is um, fascinating. I'm a huge voyeur. I love to just like sit back and watch people. I yes. love with people. I'll, like it's just I think one of my favorite things to do is to get to an airport several <laughs> hours before my flight. My husband and I always thought about this and I would sit and just watch. stare at everybody yeah. and then think, really they're together? That doesn't make any <laughs> like sense. how does that work? I don't get that. What are the circumstances behind <laughs> exactly. that? Yeah, it's, it's completely fascinating to me. I love it. If you're just joining us, my guest today is Jessica Dermody. She's done so much stuff, it's too long to say actress, director. <laughs> and now, wait a minute. What's assistant wardrobe director? I mean, it's a little disingenuous to say, I don't know how I got that job considering <laughs> I can't sew. Well, the thing that's funny, and and again, it goes back to the nepotism of this business, how I ended up getting that job was um, I would go and it's- By one the of, way, for Saturday Night Fever's touring company again. Yes. Just to um, yeah. Yeah. Which is a great time, one of the greatest times of my life. Um I, my father it was what's called the business agent of uh, the IATSE union in South Florida. Why don't you tell people what IATSE stands uh, IATSE for? IATSE stands for the uh, International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. Mm-hmm. So it's the stage hands union. Um, and the wardrobe always falls under. It's a sister component to the stage hands union. Um, so... He needed someone called in sick and he needed somebody to go to work. And it was a two hour drive away from where we were. And he and I had literally just started this job as a ballroom dance instructor. Um, I had taken a little bit of time off from dancing and I was coming back to it. And I was like, oh, this is what I'm going to do now. This is this is great. And he called me and he's like, I need you to go do this job. And I'm like, I don't want to go do this job. I have this other job. And he's like, I don't care. You have to go. So (laughs) he showed up and uh, was asked to dress this show. And I ended up meeting um, the wardrobe supervisor and his assistant, who are now two of my greatest friends and people who literally changed my life and gave me this beautiful career and uh, amazing path to come to New York. I think that's where we're all trying to to get here, to get to L.A. And, you know, I met these incredibly connected people who we just 
kind of fell in love with each other and they took they took me on the road with them. They were there for a week and then one of them needed to go away. So they were like, hey, we really like you. Do you want to come with us? (laughs) You know, and it was only I was only going to Jacksonville from like Fort Lauderdale to Jacksonville, which is hours away. But I was like, yeah, I can do that for a week. I'll pack my bags and I'll go. And I thought it was only going to be a week and it ended up being two years of my life. And it was a crash course. I mean, I I really didn't know how to sew. I took one required 8 a.m. costume class in college where you had to make a shirt. And I think I got like a C on my shirt. Like it was not... I mean, it had arms and it kind of worked, but um, I think I actually even may have had a friend of mine help me with that in a big way. Well, your secret safe. My secret safe, telling all my secrets. Um, But what I did know was I knew knew about dance, and that's a big dance show. So I knew about how garments need to work in order to move. And I know a lot about shoes because I grew up dancing. So that's something that you learn, which a lot of times dancers don't learn that or they don't learn the right things. Um, And that was something I knew about. So I was like, oh, this I can I can do. I can fake it with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And it worked. And then I realized everything else, all the organizational stuff that I do and knowing how shows work and being very comfortable in a backstage environment and knowing the hierarchy of how all the jobs work um, benefited me in that way. And I ended up being really obviously very well suited to do that. I was just saying I ended up closing my 19th. The Crucible is my 19th Broadway show that I've worked on, well, which long, is mind-blowing How to old me. is your career? How old? Yeah. I when we say am, 2002? Yeah, I'm going to say 2002. So, so 14, 14 plus years. years. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do you think that your career path falls into that right place at the right time category? In a way, I think so. I mean, I think there's always a little bit of kismet in everything that we do in this in this business. Um, like I said, most people don't even know that there is a job of a wardrobe supervisor, let alone dresser, or there's all these other millions of jobs in the entertainment industry, but we're so focused on acting because it's what we see. So what do you mean? You're invisible? Um, in a way, you you kind of are. You're, um, you know, it's like when you're, if, and I mean that in a, good, in a good way, that if I'm doing my job correctly, then you don't know that that job exists because that is my job mm-hmm. is to make sure that everything is happening so seamlessly and safely that as an audience member, you're sitting back and you're watching the story and you're watching the dancing and you're taking in the lighting and um, you're just watching the whole vision come together. But most people just don't ever stop to think that like, oh, there is this entire city of people that make this happen. You know, I always say like on a film set for every one actor, there's 50 people. Exactly. Easily. Yes. Yes. Um, and that's kind of mind blowing, but you don't really get that experience uh, unless you're in the business, you know. So, are you saying that that, that the transition from wardrobe supervisor to dance or whatever is natural? I mean, usually you're one thing as opposed to not that you can't be an actor and a director, but that's a lot more common than being a wardrobe supervisor and then a producer. I used to think that it was something that was just like, oh, this is just how we all work. And then I've come to realize that I, I don't know very many people who have the experiences that I have, I'm realizing that it is something that is truly unique and that I need to be more cognizant that it is is unique because I have a, a quality of just being like, oh, this is how this is how it is. Like everybody operates this way. And then people are come to me and they say that you're a crazy person. <laughs> how do you Back do off, all this sister. stuff? Mm-hmm. To me, it's just normal. Like it's just well, if the it's way that I for work. You, who, yeah. yeah, who cares? Yeah. 
In 2005, you co-founded this not-for-profit working artist theater project. Why and what exactly does that mean? So what it was was a very good friend of mine uh, at the time. We were both working on the show, the producer. She was actually a showgirl in the show, and I was a dresser on the show. I the just, producers as in the musical, the, the musical with Matthew Mel, Mel Brooks, with and, Matthew and right, Nathan. Nathan Lane. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I— had just come to New York. It was like one of my very first jobs. And oddly enough, this uh, woman and I, we were in an acting class. Like I was taking an acting class at the time and she just happened to be in that acting class. And that's how we knew each other. And we didn't realize we had worked in the same building um, because she was one of the swings or the understudies. And then one night she got thrown into the show and it was literally, she was getting undressed and I'm standing there and we look at each other and we're like, oh my gosh, like what are you doing here? And then as we went through this acting class and and being in the same building, we were there for um, five, five or six years together. We realized what happens on a longer running Broadway show is it becomes it's incredibly mechanical because it has to be. It's a safety issue. And if you're not in the same place every single night and it's not that Groundhog's Day, something is wrong and you are not safe. So um that becomes really monotonous, which is also a weird like paradigm that happens in entertainment. You work so hard to get to Broadway, to get to that major motion picture. And then you get there and you're like, okay, th- this is it. And some, for some people, it's like, th- this is it. And I'm, I'm so excited. And for some people, you're like, this is it. I did it. What's next? Mm. What else can I do? And then when you're in that machine, you're kind of trapped because it is a full-time job. It's very demanding. The hours are very strange. And the lifestyle it, it creates is very strange. So we created a company that suited people who wanted to do more. We literally started this company right, right, because right. I, I was like, oh, I want to direct. And she wanted to act. And as a dancer, it's very hard to be seen as an actress. And we produced a play together a very small play that was very bare bones and the play sold out every every single performance and why, why um, did it sell out it sold out because we realized what we were catering to was the broadway community we did shows that were on the days off and the times off that um, people were not in the shows and that's something really, really unique. When you work in the theater, you don't get to see a lot of stuff because you're working exactly. the same time that these other people are working, which can be incredibly frustrating because you you don't get to see a lot of you know work and shows and and your friends doing their work. And so we created this. But I mean, platform so you for create that. this not for profit working artist theater project. But where's the money coming from? When we started, we had we had no money. Mm-hmm. And what we um, we were sheltered under another company called Spiral Inc. Mm-hmm. And we were told, well, we'll give you because they were they were producing a show and they had two they had two days that they were not in the theater. And they're like, well, we'll give you this theater space which is the biggest expense in producing a show. So we had this space and we knew we were going to present this work with like essentially really no set, no costumes, no nothing because we had no money. We really had no money. So we just took the opportunity and we just went for it. And we were overwhelmed by the amount of response from our peers. And we thought, okay, well, this is obviously something that people are resonating. It's resonating for whatever reason. Mm. Um, And we just went forward and we optioned another play and we paid for it out of pocket and we got more company members. And at a certain point, once we realized we had a company, everybody put in a thousand dollars of their own money. No kidding. Yeah. And we uh, went 
went forward and produced some more shows. And then as you in the not for when you don't know anything about not for profits, I've obviously have learned a lot about it. But um, I took classes. I read books. I, I felt nervous and very responsible that I didn't want to screw it up, you know. So I kind of took that role and learned even more about the business end of what it is that we do, which is something that. There's really not a lot of programs or colleges or anything that teach this stuff. You just kind of throw yourself in and you figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we learned, you know, as a not-for-profit, oh, you can get – you can accept donations. So then we started asking for donations. And then we figured out we were eligible for grants. We were like, what's a grant? Oh, we've got grants. Um, And, you know, we've had very – over the years, your network grows and people believe in your work and they – uh, support it. Um, and, you know, the not-for-profit game, anyone who's in the not-for-profit game, you kind of uh, beg, borrow, and steal whatever you can. And then as far as fundraising, you just get super creative and figure figure out um, interesting ways, you know, whether it's like online auctioning or, hmm. uh, what, you know, whatever you can put out there because uh, it's it's hard. The money part of the arts is really difficult because people are so enamored by film um, and theater is a little bit scarier. Sometimes I get very nervous about theater in terms of like the Philharmonic or opera. Who's going to be there after my generation or I'm old, but you know, I think that way too, because my generation is kind of the last generation that had arts in the school system, which to me is something is so crazy because growing up, I found myself and I found family within the theater community. And that was a big part of why uh, I lived at my dance studio. I lived after school in the theater. Like I, I just wanted and needed to be there and to think that that doesn't exist it's not readily available or even required for children is something that is really crazy and very scary to me and very um, wrong very wrong and that's why i feel like uh shows like glee or um you know even what's happening with hamilton right now it's so important because it's finally the pendulum is swinging in the other direction and people are again excited at a younger age and it's finding them even though it's not readily available or something that is required of them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I always think about like taking music class when I was very young and we had to learn how to play the auto harp. And I, a lot of it's like, what is an auto harp? Yeah, really. like, who cares? And why are we doing this? But um, yeah, it's like, you know, a bunch of seven year olds playing an auto harp and, and what is it? But there's something about that and having that skill and being forced to do it. And you're like, oh, it's music. So let's talk about Gregorian. Part of what the Working Artist Theater does is get new productions. I mean, not, mostly what you do. It's yeah. new works. New works, mostly. And that you present. Yes. What we are trying to do mostly with what with Working Artist Theater Project, which is, we call it What Project, is create a platform that professionally, as professionally as we are allowed to, budgetary-wise and under the restrictions of a not-for-profit, present work and give people a platform to cross and work without outside of their boundaries or um, give people an opportunity who really it's their time. It's their time. Like they've done the work and for some reason no one is listening. So we find these people and we give them these opportunities and we give people, you know, actors the opportunity to direct, to learn lighting, to learn, you know, how to basically do other things. Is what an ensemble group? Is it the same people? It is not. It's not the same people all the time. And that is something that makes us unique. We're not a company of actors Mm -hmm. um, and not everyone in the company always works in the same roles. Mm -hmm. Like I don't 
direct every show. We're constantly trying to expand and, and grow because we're realizing the diversification and giving people these opportunities is something that is a little bit more unique from a smaller theater company. A lot of theater companies are, I like to call them special people's clubs because they, you know, you get it. You get comfortable with these people. You know how they work. And I really, in the same way that I feel about, you know, there not being this arts education in school, I really do um, feel responsible for giving people the opportunity to do their art, to tell their stories, to learn new skills, um, to create longevity in this industry, because it's also something that is not readily available to people. This is professional people who work mm-hmm. in this industry. We get so tunneled vision. Like I could go in and I could only work to supervise and my life would be so easy. And it's, it wouldn't be boring. And I it wouldn't, wouldn't think. be boring. I mean, it is, it's amazing. It's an amazing life. I just have this thing within me that I want. I personally want to do more. And I always want to learn. And I'll get up on a ladder and I'll hang a light. Or I will run the sound for a show. Or I will make the props. Or I will build a costume. Um, I, I just love being in the environment. And I think there are a lot of other people who are, who are like that but just don't have the opportunity or feel like I can't. Um, you know, and I think that's that's the thing is I I have always really wanted to create something that is a creative playground for people, but not only in the sense of acting or dancing or, or even directing or writing, but open it up and realize that long, career longevity in the arts is so available because there are people who work in the box office, hang, you know, like lighting design, technical crew, running crews, ushers, all of those people create the packaged experience of what it is and that really expanding people's vision to it being a complete picture is something that I feel is something I like to crusade for my own. But as the managing executive artistic director, Mm -hmm. are you the one who makes the determination as to what plays will be produced and presented? We work together. Um, It is uh, uh, Charlie Sutton is my co-artistic director, as well as Chad Luke Skiro. Um, We have a great board of people. um, And then we also have a lot of other members uh, who help in finding uh, the artistic content that we uh, generally will produce. And we're trying to diversify that as much as possible uh, as far as we mostly do plays. But now we're kind of venturing into some plays with music or musical Well, that would be a musical. musical. Things. It's actually not. We mm-hmm. call it a playsicle. No kidding. <laughs> What's a play with music? Like a play with music would be something like... Uh, a show like Peter and the Starcatcher is really a playsicle. Doesn't have enough songs to be warranted a musical, but it's underscored with music, but it is a play. And even this this last production of The Crucible was very similar, where the whole thing was underscored with music. We would call it The Crucible. Because oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's great. Um, so but yeah, it's, does The Gregorian stand out in a different way than some of your other projects at what? This play itself feels very important and very timely. Uh, Last year was the centennial of the Armenian genocide of 1915. And when I met this playwright, I was working on a movie that he had written. uh, And the project just blew up and went horribly wrong. And we created this great bond. And I was like, I'd really love to read some of your other stuff. Um, And he has given given me a bunch of plays and he's like but I have this one play it's about the Armenian genocide of 1915 which I had never I had never heard about I think a lot of people hadn't and in the same way when you learn about the Holocaust in school and you're like 
oh my gosh, like the top of your head has been ripped off and you're just like, whoa, but my mind is completely blown right now. It was a similar experience for me. And then to go read this play and realize that it really is this the cyclical effects of genocide. Um, why does this keep happening? And it does keep happening and it's still happening today. And how he has crafted this play, it's charming and it's funny. And you don't think a play about genocide would be any of those things. No, um, not at all. And it's enlight it's enlightening. And I, I think it's now it feels very important for people to have something to give them the opportunity to talk about this stuff, um, especially in the times that we're in. Everything's starting to feel a little bit more precarious. And, you know, there are signs of genocides uh, that are happening. There's like scientifically people have kind of studied it. And I think that this gives people the opportunity. It gives them a, an opportunity and a platform to talk about something that's really difficult, a really difficult thing to talk about. And almost buried. Very, very. Unless you're Armenian. Yes. We've just about run out of time. But yeah, I want to no. tell you what my takeaway is from this, even though we've spoken before. But like the line, which is yours, you know, serving as a mentor, as she says, to those bitten by the entertainment bug. <laughs> Clearly, if you step back and look at you and all that you've done and you're not an old person, you're a young person, <laughs> I think it's empowering, hmm. awe-inspiring inspirational? I mean, maybe you um, didn't even know you were on a mission. I, I, I didn't, honestly. I think I just... And also, I want to add natural. Well, th thank you. I mean, it, it literally feels like a, a calling to me, and it always it always has. Um, and I think what I love about it, you know, when I say this bitten by the entertainment bug, it does afflict certain, certain people. Um, well, it's you know, a malady that's worth having. I think so. That you I don't need a is. cure for. No, it's a beautiful thing to tell stories and to build community. And I think the most important thing that theater does and the arts in general is that it does bring a commonality and a, a, to a community of people. And that's something that we're severely lacking in society right now. And I think people are starved for it. And this is a really beautiful way uh, to do something that I just inherently do and I love doing. And then bringing all these people together and doing things that feel good to them and to keep learning, building skills. I think it's just a really great and important thing. What's left to say? Yeah. You're doing a great <laughs> job, Jessica, and Thank how great you. it is that it's a labor of love, like you say. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women, and please go to our iTunes store page and leave a rating and a review. And if you know anyone you think that we should interview, contact us at sandykleinshow.com. 